Welcome to the Every Lawyer. My name is Julia Petroprovence. And please welcome with me our guests today, two of the people behind the CBA and Envision's highly regarded professional development webinar, The Path, Your Journey Through Indigenous Canada, Jennifer David and Andrea Menard. Jennifer David is a senior consultant and leads an area of service called Truth and Reconciliation at Envision Insight Group, a majority Indigenous-owned company with First Nations, Inuit, Métis, and non-Indigenous shareholders and staff. From Omushkego, Jennifer is a member of Chapel Creek First Nation and has a journalism degree from Carleton University in Ottawa, where she currently lives. She oversees the development and delivery of all Indigenous cultural awareness learning opportunities under the banner of The Path. Andrea Menard is a Métis Nation of Alberta citizen who has worked for various organizations that range from academic government, treaty-making, and legal non-profit and legal regulatory work, and teaches reconciliation and lawyers at the University of Calgary Faculty of Law, as well as in search of reconciliation through dispute resolution at Osgood Hall Law School. Co-founder of the Indigenous Lawyers Forum, an Alberta-based networking group for Indigenous lawyers, legal academics, and law students, Andrea is also on the board of directors for the Alternative Dispute Resolution Institute of Alberta, ADRIA, and on the Canadian Bar Association's National Indigenous Advisory Group, Criminal Justice. This is The Every Lawyer, presented by the Canadian Bar Association. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Every Lawyer podcast. First, I would like to begin by acknowledging that the land on which I'm a visitor is the traditional unceded territory of the Huron-Wendat people. I'm in Quebec City right now. Jennifer, uh, where are we calling? Where where are we calling you? <laughs> I'm here uh, in Ottawa, where I am on the unceded and unsurrendered territory of the Anishinaabe Algonquin. It's a real pleasure, and you, Andrea. Hi, I am a guest on the west part of Treaty 6 territory in Nemiskwichi, Waskagan, which means Beaver Hills Lodge. Uh, the English word is Edmonton, Alberta. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you both for being here today. Before getting into more of a conversation about well, other issues, but for the path. I don't know if one of you wants to first talk to our listeners, what exactly is the path? All right. Well, I'll start with that then. So first, Jennifer David and Tissa Nakasin, I just have to explain a little bit of my background to get to the path. So I am from Omashkego. So my traditional territory is in Treaty 9 territory where I was born and raised. And I'm a member of the Chapel Cree First Nation. But I moved to Ottawa many years ago to go to Carleton University where I got a journalism degree. And so I have a background in journalism and communication. And I used to be the director of communications for the Aboriginal People's TV Network. And this is relevant because after I left APTN, I became an independent communications consultant. And then I joined with a larger consulting company where I still work as a senior consultant with Envision Insight Group. And one of the things that I started doing about 10 years ago was in-person full-day workshops on 
back then what they called Aboriginal cultural awareness. But it wasn't a main part of my work. And then the TRC, when it came out with their calls to action and their reports, they have several calls to action related to education. And that education is on cultural awareness. It's also on a bias and anti-racism. And I began to get more people interested and asking me if I did that kind of work. And so that's how we launched the path. Uh, We call it the path, your journey through Indigenous Canada. And we call it the path because of something that Senator Murray Sinclair said when he was chair of the TRC. He said, when they issued their reports and calls to action, he said, we have described for you a mountain. We have shown you the path to the top. We call on you to do the climbing. And that's really what this kind of education is about. It is climbing a mountain. And uh, so we call it the path and I call myself a guide. So I, I like to say that I'm a guide for people trying to go on this or going on this path and we're going on it together. That was launched in 2018 online. And then CBA uh, was looking for a platform and a course provider and they came across the path and I met with them and they were they liked it. They really thought it would fit very well. And so we started a partnership whereby the CBA would be offering the course on the CBA's website. But the original impetus of it was partly from the TRC's calls to action. And then the reason why I explain my background at the beginning was because the way that the path, how it was originally developed, is it was a video-based course. And that was partly because we had a big corporate client that had a lot of people that were going to take the course, but they weren't very computer literate or even, you know, had literacy issues. So we did not want a very text-heavy course. And because I had worked at APTN and because of my background in journalism, I knew the power of media. And uh, since I'm not offering this course as a subject matter expert, I'm offering this as education. I wanted to make sure there were as many voices of Indigenous peoples with lived experience of the things we were talking about in the course as possible. And that's why we ended up with a video-based course. We are revamping it because taking a video-based course, everybody loves it, but part of the reason they love it is because it's easy. (laughs) And so I want to make updates to the course so that people actually have to do more work. It's a little more interactive. But I think the other reason why people have really resonated with the course as a video-based course is because of those video clips of people talking about their lived experience, which is a very important part. Cultural awareness education is not it's not a tick box and it's not just one and done and there's your certificate and wow, now I'm culturally aware. We have to reach people. We have to reach hearts and minds. That's what, that's what we need to be doing. And the way to do that is by giving them that emotional connection to the stories that people are telling. So all of that is to say that's where the path came from and that's why it was developed the way that it is. I must say, as for one who I watched it very recently, the path and the videos makes it very, you know, you you hear things and you hear like the, the information if you want, but then you have also the faces, the stories, the, the colors, the everything is there. So I think this adds a lot. 
I am a big, big fan of it. And I don't know, Andrea, if you want to add anything to what Jennifer just said. Yeah, well, it is really important to talk about our Indigenous backgrounds. So I am Métis, originally from the abolished Red River Settlement. My great-grandmother went to day school And um, my family, my Métis side of my family, so I'm a settler and a Métis, so my Métis side of my family um, suffered uh, intergenerational abuse, a lot of hurdles and obstacles, racism in the way. And growing up white and Métis, I saw my white side of my family doing exceptionally well and my Métis side somehow faltering into abuse, addictions, not getting the job, not fitting into jobs. So growing up and seeing these two worldviews, I became really interested in justice. And I managed my way to get into law school, I went through law school at UBC, then articled in a uh, small town in British Columbia because I wanted to not to be in the cities. So I articled and then did treaty negotiations in for Indigenous nations. And I really opened my eyes because what I saw in court were just 99% Indigenous people. And I, I couldn't believe it when I when I first first saw that. That was about 2006. And I mean, this has been going on for decades. So let's just fast forward. I'm a member of the CBA. And when um, the CBA said, oh, here, here's uh, the path for free. Every, you know, first hundred people or 500 people can watch it. I just couldn't believe it. And I watched it right away. And, <laughs> and at the time, and uh, that was when Brad was president, of course. So it's really great to have an Indigenous leader and then doing this. So I thought, oh, this will be really good because it's Indigenous approved, right? So then I watched it and it just blew my mind. So at the time I was working for the Law Society of Alberta as their Indigenous liaison. And I said, you know what? This is it. I want the path. I want the path for uh, the Law Society of Alberta for lawyers to take, to get educated upon. I mean, it's just a great multi- media, multi-modality type of way to learn. And then the pandemic hit and it was great because it's all online. And then, and then I reached out, well, I reached out to Jennifer because that was, Jennifer was the one. So Jennifer and I worked together on the Law Society of Alberta's The Path, uh, the mandatory education for, yeah. So that's when I met Jennifer. It was way, way back in the day. Yep. That's, <laughs> it okay because I felt like you guys knew each other <laughs> that's it and how would you say the, the success of it so far do you feel because I, I saw on the website the Law Society of Alberta the Canadian Bar Association of course but then many other companies or uh, organizations also seem to have subscribed to it so I don't know if they made it mandatory but have you heard some feedbacks of the, the path and how it has been successful well I'll talk in general and Andrea maybe you can talk about the Law Society of Alberta because there's an interesting side story about that one of course but But for the path, we've we've had, and I was just looking on what we call our learning management system, which is essentially the online platform where the path lives. And each client will get their own sort of iteration of the path so they can track uh, their, their participants. And I think we have about 200 separate sort of companies and groups that are taking the path on our learning management system. But we also have another handful of clients that have taken 
in the entire course and are putting it on their own learning management system. And so several of them have made it mandatory in addition to the Law Society of Alberta, none quite so controversial. So the Bank of Canada, for example, uh, the Canadian Museum of History, for example, and there's, there's several others who've also made it mandatory. Some, again, have put it on their own system. Some have left it on ours. But uh, in total, we've, we probably have, we're, we're probably coming up to 25,000 people who've taken the online course, maybe, maybe a little more. Wow. Okay. Wow. I'm very, that's congratulations, honestly. And I, I still, I think that's not enough because <laughs> I think everybody should, but that's very congratulations. Yeah. And, and so, and Andrea, what is it with the, <laughs> for the Alberta and uh, Los Lady? Yeah. With the Law Society, yes. Well, you know how lawyers, we don't like being told what to do, right? No, we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer and I, when we were creating the path for uh, the Law Society of Alberta, we knew that uh, the lawyers were going to be, uh, you know, a hard bunch to convince that this, this, is, this is the way to go. This is the education uh, to have. But it is, number one, I just wanted to say it is a gentle way in order to pass the message along right? It's a gentle way. Lawyers can do it on their own time. It's videos. It's not saying you're wrong, you're bad, you, you should feel guilty. It's just a really nice, gentle message. I was responsible for just bringing it home to Alberta, like the Alberta modules, and then bringing it closer to the law and uh, what we were doing in Alberta in regards to the law. What happened was 51 lawyers petitioned the Law Society that uh, we shouldn't have mandatory education, And then there was a special meeting that happened and 3,000 lawyers had to attend the special meeting. And then we had a debate whether to keep the mandatory education or not. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah. So, but what happens is I'm, I am a co-founder and co-lead of the Indigenous Lawyers Forum, which is a, a networking lawyers uh, forum. It's grassroots, it's Indigenous led. And we met, we met a couple of times, but we met just before the special meeting. And, and my lawyer colleague said, you know what, I don't, I don't feel safe in this environment anymore. So this is the fallout of, of what's happened with this huge, interesting uh, debate that happened. But luckily, most of the lawyers, uh, they voted three-quarter majority to uh, still keep the path mandatory. So it's still here. It's still here to stay. We are very grateful of that. But, you know, there are roots. There are root causes of what's making people uh, refusing this type of education, and we need to really work on that, uh, not only as a legal profession, but uh, as the education systems, the health profession, you know, corporate. So that that's what uh, happened in Alberta just recently. Interesting. Well, I didn't know that, but thank you. And I was thinking when I was watching it, you know, I, we should make it mandatory for Le Barreau du Québec. But now I know that, that maybe we'll see. But, you know, I think that would be so relevant. That's something I keep in mind for sure. Definitely, definitely keep it in the in the back of your mind uh, and make. So what we did was we we anticipated it. Right. So we anticipated it. So we made sure that this could flow through as mandatory education as much as possible. And yes, the petition happened. And yes, there was a vote. And it was, you know, it was the path was here to stay. But just just make sure that you anticipate that. There's also this new module. So going back to, to the, the law thing of it, because I think the, the path also, as you clearly mentioned it, Andrea, is very holistic in the, in the sense that you don't only talk about law, but you talk about culture, you talk about history, you talk about education. So it really, it touches a lot of, of angles. And I think probably, Jennifer, you, you, you have 
I say to to stay on that because I'm sure you you thought about all like how to make it, you know, um, to talk about all the angles um, and not only law, but for this uh, for this podcast, I would like to focus a bit on the uh, module six, which was the uh, indigenous peoples in the legal criminal system. It's a brand new one. And and first, why did you uh, came up with it? So I can tell you a little bit of the history about this one. I saw that the Federal Department of Justice issued a request for proposals looking for groups, nonprofit groups that could teach people about, especially about Gladue, the Gladue reports, Gladue principles, and that they had funding available for these groups. So I was working at the time because, of course, we have this relationship with the CBA. And so CBA working with Envision, essentially, I put together a, a sort of project plan and a budget And then CBA submitted their proposal and then they were successful. So now they had a budget to create this specific module and they had already had in mind that they wanted to add it to the path, which they already have on their website. So we started a discussion about that. And the very first thing that I did, which which I learned from the work that I did uh, with Andrea at LSA, is that it's imperative to have an active Indigenous advisory group who are who's very comfortable with the subject matter and can comment on it. And so I don't know about the internal process, but I know that the CBA sent out a call looking for people to join. And then Andrea is one of them. And they were critical because I am, again, I'm not a subject matter expert. And in the back of my mind, I was also thinking, obviously, that I needed their expertise to build this module, but also building on on what happened with LSA and the reticence for some people to, you know, take the course at all. I wanted to make sure that though the the advisory group was front and center so that there, there isn't the kind of blowback to CBA saying, well, you know, who did you get to do this? Who created? this module how do you know what you're talking about right so it was it had to be it, it was very important that the advisory group was comprised of indigenous lawyers who work in this area and were very familiar with with the topic and so that's how we that's how we started together and i can just one more thing before if you're if you're going to ask andrea was Again, I'm not a subject matter expert. I am not a lawyer. The very first meeting that we had with the Indigenous Advisory Group, one of the very first thing that someone said and everybody agreed to was, because originally it was called, you know, Indigenous People and the Criminal Justice System. And the very first thing they said was, it is not a justice system. Indigenous people do not see justice. Uh, so we're going to call this the criminal legal system. And we'll make a very specific note to explain why. And I'm like, right there, there's education happening before they've even started the module. So I'm so glad you raised that because that was one of the things I, I wanted to talk about because I really, really liked this little note saying we made a choice not to call it a justice system, but a legal criminal system. And for me, it was so enlightening. I was like, oh, yeah, no, that's all right there's no justice, it's not a justice system. Especially, you know, at the end of the module, like, yeah, no, there's no justice system. So very interesting. And maybe, Andrea, you want to mention it more, but also, Jennifer, I just, I wanted to say, because I also saw the difference between this module and the, the other modules, because, you know, you had, so I really like that too. So I don't know if that's the updates you're going to do for the other ones. <laughs> very great. Yes, exactly. What, what you see, and anybody who takes uh, module six through the CBA and has taken the first five modules of the path 
online, they will see a major difference. And that's what we meant by updating the path so it's more interactive. And so it will look more like what you see in Module 6 for CBA. And for people also, the LSA is the Lost Society of Alberta. So just Oh, yeah, sorry, acronyms. <laughs> no worries. Also, the TRC, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Yeah, so that people know. But yeah, Andrea, maybe you want to jump on that? Yeah, that, that's part of the magic of working for an Indigenous company. Well, and it partly owned Indigenous company, Envision Insight Group, is that they're doing things the right way. And because Jennifer is Indigenous and has done her work, she knows how to engage with other people, other Indigenous people, and she knows how to say, look, you need to get an Indigenous advisory group together. This needs to come from the Indigenous perspective. And then we work with Jennifer and we say, okay, it has to be this way. It has to be that way. And so coming from an Indigenous perspective is really important for lawyers to learn because often lawyers are so busy in their lives, they just don't have time to listen to the Indigenous perspective. So this module is about sitting back, listening, uh, learning objectively about what actually is the system doing to Indigenous peoples and why is it getting worse from an Indigenous professional's point of view. So there is a group of us and we we would meet uh, periodically and, and work on the development uh, with Jennifer together. And it was really it had a lot of synergy. I enjoyed meeting everyone from across Canada, the Indigenous lawyers from across Canada. And yes, that was the first thing. Jennifer's right. That's the first thing that we said. It was uh, to change the justice to the legal and there's a lot wrong. And let's let's begin to tell our story about Gladue and um, the, the journey that people have to know when they want to search for answers of why reconciliation really isn't working in the criminal legal system and what they can do better. I think it's fair to say that a lot of uh, lawyers, especially non-Indigenous lawyers and me, I include myself in that. into that, they will go into the module six and they will think that, oh yeah, great, we'll take a, talk about Gladue and it's it's going to be great and it's such, such, such a great improvement. That's what I've heard. And But then you listen to it and you're like, oh no, actually this is not that great. Oh no, there are alternatives that are way more interesting and okay, no, I really need to learn about that. I think you realize that there's so much more that has to be done and that there is, I mean, you also hear a lot about over-incarceration of Indigenous peoples. You talk about it in the module and you also get to hear some lived experiences as well. And you just, you know, you, you finish the module and you're like, okay, so what am I going to do now? What, what's next, you know? And you want to read more about it as well and also about alternative justice, which we will get into later. But first, I'd like to hear your thought, Andrea, on, you know, what should be done? So what should be done? Should we move uh, to, to, or is it time to say that Gladu is not working and just move beyond it and should we do something should we do something else? yeah okay so let's go <laughs> what and what should be done <laughs> i'd like to hear you very much this uh, this question has been posed to me uh throughout the last, I don't know, few years that I've been teaching at the University of Calgary Faculty of Law. And um, they're, Andrea, Andrea, what should we do? What should we do? And I, I my, my simple answer is um, uh, throw it in a dumpster and light it on fire. Okay, that's it. <laughs> but but let, let, me, let me tell you. So Gladue is not working. We all figured that out. By the end of this module, you will too when you, when you listen to it. But we can't just uh, throw it in the dumpster uh, and light it on fire just yet. So we need a hybrid or concurrent system. So that is the, the simple answer 
to the question. So I can I can go into that a bit, but um, I don't know if Jennifer wants to say anything about her experiences in making this uh, the path with Gladue and your thoughts. <laughs> I think the one thing that I will say, I'll actually relate it to something else because because people often ask me that too. Because of course I also facilitate the path, and we have various courses in the path. So when we when I offer this as a facilitated course, and people say that, you know, well, what should we do? This is terrible. We should get rid of it. And you know, I, I use a parallel to say, for example, the Indian Act. Once people understand and see the Indian Act, they say, why do we even have this? We should just throw it in the dumpster and light it on fire, like Andrea says. But what an elder said to me many, many years ago is something that I've I've held all these years. And, you know, I said that question to him when I was learning about it. I didn't even know what, what the Indian Act really was. You live under it, but you don't even realize what's in it. And so the elder, I said, why don't we just get rid of it? Why is this still here? Right. And I was young and, you know, very sort of zealous. And he and, you know, in, in his wise way, he said, well, he said, you're looking at the Indian Act like it's a tree that you can just come along and chop down. He said, fine, you could chop down the tree. He said, but it's not the tree itself. Yes, those are the outcomes of what's happened, but it's the roots of that tree. How do you uproot something that is long and wide and deep? And we don't even know where those roots go. And you can't just you know, uproot that tree because A, again, you don't know how big and wide and how do you do that? And then what are you gonna do? You now suddenly have this big sort of gaping hole. Are you just gonna replace it with something that that's as bad or worse. So, and I think that's the, the same thing that, that, that lawyers and, and people are trying to deal with when it comes to Gladue because it's, it's embedded in this system and the whole system is messed up. The whole system was colonial, but every lawyer, and you guys are, are both lawyers, you are working in this system. You've been trained in this system. You are basically looking at the law that was created in this system, right? And so how do you make changes for something that you're you're within? And I'll just use another analogy, because just like the path is a, is a lot of stories, Indigenous people are always telling stories and making analogies. And I use this as well when I do the path, which is, I think, applicable here. Uh, and it was a cartoon that I saw, and I, and I related it to sort of cultural awareness and it was and it was a cartoon of these fish these two fish one was obviously the parent and one was the child and the child turns to the parent and says you know mom or dad um what is the ocean and then the parent is like how the heck do I explain? Oh, right. It's everything. It's, it's, you're in it. How do you explain and describe something that's just everywhere? And so to extricate and talk about Gladue without talking about the whole sort of system. And if you want to tweak Gladue, that's fine, but it's still going to be in this system. And you can't overnight change these systems, whether it's the legal system or the health system or the education system. But but the first step is awareness. It's being even aware that there is this colonial system and that we all need to be part of moving beyond it. What it looks like is something we have to take generations to do. But uh, again, not being a lawyer, but I can see that, you know, people w would want to take this course and say, great, I'm just going to understand, like you said, right? Uh, I'm going to understand Gladue and how I'm going to apply it. But the bigger question is, I mean, Gladue was, was 
set up to address a certain problem, but the problem is not being addressed by Gladue. It's a bigger problem that needs a bigger, broader, wider solution. And you know what? I think that's why also Gladue comes at this time in the path, because you need to take module one to five before getting to module six to very understand it. It's not like you cannot take it on its own because uh, you will not understand it. And Andre, I don't know if you wanted to add to that. I liked your um, storytelling there, Jennifer. Uh, <laughs> storytelling can also be our laws, our Indigenous laws, right? Mm -hmm. You know, everyone says, oh, he's still telling a story now. Well, that, that is our law. So um, we can't just write it off and, you know, because elders are so humble and they're like, I'm going to tell you a story. Well, you know what? It's law. So a story that I tell is also about a tree and it's also about the roots. So what we like to do in Western colonial society is add on to the branches. We're going to add on Gladue. We're going to add on cultural bias training. We're going to add on systemic discrimination. We're just going to keep on adding on. Well, you keep on adding on to the tree and the tree won't be able to see the sunlight. The tree won't be able to give oxygen and, and, you know, do that O2, CO2 exchange. What we need to do as a society is go deep down within ourselves and go to the roots, as Jennifer was saying, right? And then within ourselves, we will find the truth, right? It takes us to really do the work. Why are we willfully blind to what's going on? Why are we preventing ourselves from understanding the genocide of what's still going on in the prison systems, in the court systems? Why are we still here? Part of it is going within yourself and finding out the truth because it's a very difficult journey and a lot of people don't want to do it. But I want to tell you, underneath and in the root system, that's where the trees talk to themselves. We got to get down there. We got to start to say a different dialogue with our root systems and come up with better and more equitable and sovereign ways in which to have these laws in Canada. Canada is just a young country. Have these ancient indigenous laws come back to the surface. Yeah, and bring them to the table. Yeah, And would you say that to hire uh, expert, indigenous experts and lawyers that, that could bring back the discussion maybe and to, to have them around the table is maybe one way when we talk about, you know, a hybrid or concurrent system or when we are trying to to improve Canada's current legal systems. Do you think that right now Canada is taking the steps to do that, like with the TRC, with also with the, how the GLADU system is working? Are they talking about having a hybrid or concurrent system? Are they talking to change that? Well, I'll, I'll say a few things here. Um, so not only Indigenous people, but Indigenous allies, um, because um, there's not many of us because of we weren't allowed in and this and this and this. There's still not many of us uh, practicing. And, and usually what happens is it's all on our shoulders. Not only do we have to practice law, but we also have to like create these systems approaches and, and heal the world as we try and make money as a lawyer. Like it's too much, right? And do it for free. Yeah, right? yeah also, yeah, because you just care about it. So, yeah. Well, they, they, yeah, and they, they, don't, they don't pay us for our knowledge. No. So, so, yes, Indigenous peoples, we have to collaborate. We have to come into these advisory circles. But I want to tell you, I push it back onto the allies. You know what, allies, you can you can do the work with us. You can do your own work. Yes, don't, you know, come over and take over. They have to say, oh, how can I be a performative ally? I don't want to be a performative. How can I be a real ally, authentic ally? I want to tell you, uh, Michael Michelle just wrote this article on um, Indigenous self-government and criminal law, the path towards concurrent jurisdiction in Canada. And 
he is, I, I believe, he's non-Indigenous. And I think he works, or he works with Naomi Metallic, a Mi'kmaq legal scholar, top in the country. So here is an ally doing really good work. So I, 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 I want to say um, definitely allies are coming forward. They want to they help, especially my students. My students are the younger generation. They're coming forward. They, they, so anyways, yes, reconciliation is not working. Why isn't it working in Canada? It worked in South Africa, right? They tell me it's worked. My South African friends told me, tell me it's working in South Africa because the majority of, of people are black in South Africa. Here, we're in a colony. So indigenous people, we're only what? Sometimes three, sometimes uh, 6% of the population. So the colonists, the settlers, they, they are not leaving. Whereas in South Africa, a lot of them left, right? In Africa, they left. Well, people aren't leaving in Canada. And um, that's fine. But it's a different type of reconciliation because we framed it off the South Africa's South Truth and Reconciliation, right? So this is a different country. And yes, it's come to the forefront. Yes, these awful things happened. Yes, we have to do better. But no one knows how to do it. Why doesn't no one know how to do it? Because they don't know Indigenous people. Why don't they know Indigenous people? You know, the cycle continues because of colonization, <laughs> right? I don't know if Jennifer wants to say. Well, I, I would I would add that, you know, also things were different in South Africa because it, because it included reparations and land back. Again, this is another thing that nobody wants to talk about, right? We're not trying, no Indigenous person is trying to kick anybody, you know, off their property or off their land or out of their house. But it's it's more complicated because Canada, essentially, because of the legal system we're in, uh, owns. And again, think about how how ironic it is when we say the word crown land, right? Crown land. Why is it crown land and not indigenous? You know, already First Nations land that Canada should you know justify why they're using it. But until we come to a seismic shift in the way we see our relationships with Indigenous peoples, we're going to continue to have, you know, hash back, land back, and we're going to have people um, up there defending the land. And, I, and again, I always say, don't don't call them protesters, because when you see it protesting, you, you see it in a frame of mind as if you're, you're against something that's lawful. But really, it's land defenders and water protectors and people who are trying to remind Canada about, uh, about what's happened in our colonial history and we do have to work on this together reconciliation is not for indigenous people to do and it's certainly not for non-indigenous people to do on their own either so where's the place to sit but because you know the the british and french way is how canada was created it was created for british and french you know people and ways of thinking and so to step back out of that and make room for indigenous voices is where reconciliation is hard. And that's what Senator Murray Sinclair said. He said, reconciliation is difficult and it's uncomfortable. If it's not uncomfortable, what are we really reconciling, right? That's true. And I like what you said. I, I would say they also, they are human rights defender as well, because that's all about human rights at the end of the day. There's a, this sentence of uh, Wab Kenu in the path that says, don't let reconciliation be a second chance at assimilation. And for me, 
it was so interesting because I think sometimes we often hear, you know, reconciliation, we want reconciliation, so let's do reconciliation no matter what. But it's not no matter what. No, it's like you need to really take a step back and stop denying mm. also because I think there's a lot of denial and that's why it's, it can be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But you need to do it. So I'd like to also hear your thoughts on, on this sentence because for me it was so strong. It was such a strong one and I liked it so much. Yeah, I me too. And when I first heard him say that, I was like, ooh, this is really powerful. But, and again, this may throw another sort of wrench into things, but in in indigenous circles, many people don't even like this word reconciliation because, because again, I, I have a journalism degree, but I also have an English literature degree. So I'm a wordsmith and words matter. And the word reconciliation, if you used it, let's say in the context of a marriage and somebody needs to go to, they need to go to marriage counseling because they want to reconcile. What they mean is they want to get back to a place where their relationship was stable and they loved each other and you know there was they were in a good place when in Canada's history were we ever in a good place what are we reconciling to so that's why i think this word uh, gets used and people don't have the same definition of what it even means so i'm not saying we throw it out and use anything different i don't have an alternative word but i think we need to understand that another reason why reconciliation is not working like andrea said is that people don't even know what they think reconciliation is if we can't even come to the same basis of understanding what do we mean when we say reconciliation how can we get there yeah and and, and that's the thing so people are calling it conciliation people are just outright saying and and these are like top uh indigenous lawyers and leaders they're just saying reconciliation is just assimilation just another assimilation is policy um so we have to really be careful as uh allies and canadians that we're not uh um recolonizing And this is a really careful line that people have to ask Indigenous peoples uh, uh, and consult with us all the time on, am, am I doing this right, right? They have to be open. They have to be ready for uncomfortable conversations. And um, they it's because it's going to take incredibly hard work. And I'm talking about, I'm not only talking about self-work, I'm talking about systems work too. And a lot of people don't have the ears to listen to that because you know what? Their lives are going great. So why, why would they change that, right? So I'm trying to say in my presentations, um, your life is, is great because what you've earned has been illegal, basically. <laughs> or that it was built on the backs of a system that benefited them without them even realizing it to the disadvantage of Indigenous people. Yeah, they're past... Uh, they're, passivity and complicity, their willful blindness in it all, because things are going great, perhaps in their lives. So why rock the boat? That's the, the greatest question of them all when I'm trying to talk to people and, and convince them of, of different approaches, of ways to look at things, of ways to change the system. Why, why bother when it's working for them? That's why we need more Indigenous leaders and Indigenous lawyers and Indigenous navigators like Jennifer around to say, okay, okay, we will help you. We we understand what's going on in the criminal legal system and in courts and in, in the prison system. We will help you with your systems in order to not repair, but make them better for now. 
Because right now they're just completely in a Western modality and it's all about punishment and it's nothing to do with Indigenous anything. Canada is a multi-juridical country. We have civil law, common law and Indigenous laws. And it's time for lawyers and judges and leaders to start to use Indigenous laws. I couldn't add anything to that. I totally agree. I think we could even stop there, but I still have many more questions for you. So, and I will still take that time that I have with you. So, you know, it's, we should not see uh, reconciliation as a recolonization or, and I feel like sometimes we are just doing stuff again. And, and I really had that feeling when I was watching and listening to the path. There was a segment about residential schools, which was also very interesting, very shocking as well. And then you also hear in the, the last module, so the new one, about all the incarceration in the prison system. And you kind of feel like the prison system might be the new type of residential schools or not the new, but just another way to, uh, to punish and to, 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 yeah, hurt and assimilate uh, indigenous people again because it just put them in, pr in prison. And, and the numbers are incredible. I don't have them with me right now, but it's just, it, it's, it's striking. So I'd like to hear you, you know, What's happening, Angel? And so you, you sent to us this uh, APTN report about uh, Joé Toussaint, and you shared it with us before this episode. And there's this quote of uh, Joé Toussaint saying that, and it's just, I don't know what to do sometimes. I'm trying hard to get the help I need, and I don't know. It's just there's no help in here, none at all. And he has spent two 1,180 days in solitary confinement, which is now called administrative segregation. So what's happening exactly? I know it's a broad question, but what's happening in jail right now in Canada? Well, genocide is happening. So people are saying um, the, the child welfare system is a residential school because all these kids are getting sent there and we're getting we're getting targeted as well as the the uh the, the penal system so there's two genocides happening in canada right now and um i wouldn't even go and call it the the res new residential school it's just plain straight up genocide so what's happening is i want to go way back before when we do this work we go forward and then we go back we go forward and then we go back so Genocide in the UN Convention uh, is a narrow definition, and we haven't done enough work and research on cultural genocide, right? Because it's from a Western viewpoint. You know, they have to indigenize the UN Convention. They have to, people have to learn how to indigenize in order to, to widen the scope of what is happening. And because we don't have the tools as a Western nation to understand what's going on, we're up to this point now where it's just plain, you know, straight up genocide because we haven't done any of the preventive measures. The really striking thing about um, the, the video that, that uh, on APTN um, was there's, there was no Indigenous people working in jail, like the people that were uh, making the decision. <laughs> they weren't Indigenous. So that, that's a problem right there. Um, I don't know if Jennifer has anything to say. I, I think, I, again, not being a lawyer, but the same thing, it's what you said earlier, um, Andrea. And I, I'm actually working with another law society right now to create some provincial-specific modules. And that's one of the things that they wanted to make sure that they got across. They said, you know, Indigenous people are subjects to the law, but we are not the lawyers advocating for people 
who are subject to the law. And so you're going to continue to get this kind of, of attitude. And Andrea talked about the reason why there are, there are fewer Indigenous people wanting to be lawyers and not even talking about the barriers, but again, talking about this colonial system. The, it, it's a, I mean, all kudos to Indigenous people who are lawyers because, man, you got to wear, wear a kind of armor to be able to go into battle in that system. And that's certainly not for everyone. So that cycle is going to continue. Well, that, that's why I call on allies, too, is because they, they could help us because we're, we're getting tired and cranky. So <laughs> we need allies, right, who have the talent and who have the ob- objectivity, who know how to be friends with Indigenous peoples to say, hey, look, am I doing this right? Oh, hey, I'd like to have an Indigenous advisory board with me all the time, day in, day out to say, am I, am I doing this right? Um, yeah, so. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And pay you, pay you on that board as well. <laughs> and I don't know if your your listeners remember, but um, Envision was asked to work with the CBA to create the Truth and Reconciliation Toolkit. So essentially to give some tools to help lawyers to do this, sort of to, to try to you know come along and invite Indigenous people. And this idea of being an, an ally, people throw this word out all, and I've tried to read up more on it because I don't really even understand what people mean by it. But I did hear one thing that I think is is relevant here and someone was writing about this idea of allyship and they said you know don't be a bystander be an upstander so we we and when we say upstander we we mean like stand up in those spaces where indigenous people are not for indigenous peoples and indigenous values but it also means standing up and stepping aside because where are the spaces where indigenous voices are not being heard and andrea just mentioned right in that prison system in the department of justice in you know running law firms in developing the policies where are the indigenous people there to add that voice because they're not there because others are there and haven't made that space but what does that look like it's not comfortable again so all these systems, things are, are moving ahead and changing at the same time as, again, as I said at the beginning, hearts and minds are changing. So they're all, they are moving forward. And I choose to be hopeful, even though, as Andrea said, we look back and we look forward, you know, it is one step forward, two steps back sometimes, but I like to, th- I, I really choose to say that we are moving forward with those Canadians and allies that are willing to first listen and then figure out what their role is not to lead again, because that gets back to what Wob said, right? We, this is not a second chance at assimilation. So <laughs> no, no, totally. And I think one of the ways also to share that podcast everywhere and to share the path to all your, your fellow lawyers and colleagues. And also if you are part of a, like Barreau du Québec or any other law society to share it and to share the path and me to try a way to that, to make it compulsory. I think that's, that's the goals. A lot of lawyers should, try to to seek and and also uh, when we talk about a legal system there's something i really want to i don't know if you have any thoughts on that but we talk about uh, transformative justice and i'm very interested about this and i think a lot of my colleagues are in general uh, people are interested to hear about transformative justice and also what we call restorative justice which is not the same but all those type you know of different justice i will not say essentially alternative but just different yeah justice that 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 we can seek to have and and i don't know if they are the type of justices that are being 
pushed forward by First Nation Indigenous people or no, not at all? I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm really asking here. Is it something that could be interesting to look into more and to to yeah to use as a tool to address some uh, of our injustices that are being mentioned? It's a good um, mid-step into creating concurrent jurisdictions where in the criminal justice system, we have the federal and then we have an indigenous one. I was on the Bev Brown Alberta Pilot Project Restorative Justice where we implemented restorative justice in policies to say, okay, look, you can do a restorative justice. But, and same with the indigenous courts. I've sat on a few planning meetings on the indigenous courts we have in Alberta. Okay, so what happens is these are guilty courts. Yeah, that's so weird, by the way, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Can you just explain that to our listeners? Because I've, I've also, you know, this idea about, go ahead, please just. <laughs> <laughs> well, they have, they have to plead guilty yeah. <laughs> in, in order, to, in order to, to appear before the Calgary Indigenous Court, in order to appear before Edmonton Indigenous Court, in order to appear before any court and, and get the help, uh, Indigenous help. Like it's like a hub model, right? Where all these organizations are around a table and we get they get the help they need, but they have to plead guilty. And then um, with restorative justice, you still have to plead guilty, no matter if it's from an urban community, a white community, or an indigenous community, you still have to plead guilty. So it's not getting to the heart of the matter. It's not getting to the, the base of the tree. It's not getting to the roots of the matter. It's just like a, a stuff like placated on top, being complicit, saying, okay, we're going to pretend that we're really cool and practicing reconciliation by applying more on top. So Indigenous people, you have to plead guilty. Then we can help you a bit. Right? Well, we're so, going to tell you how we'll help you. <laughs> yeah. So I've been involved in um, so, some restorative justice uh, programs here, some Indigenous restorative justice, and it does, it does really help. Big Stone Restorative Justice. I've been involved with them. Uh, they're they're located four hours north of Edmonton, and uh, they do a really good job because they have a, a number of elders there. They go to uh, the person goes to counseling uh, with the elders. They also do Western mental health counseling. So there's a blend of the two worlds that are actually it's actually working together. But this is a community that cares, and they're doing really good work in facilitating restorative justice so that it works for their community. It does work. But again, the system is broken. We have to have concurrent systems. Yeah. 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 And and I I would say exactly, again, not being a lawyer, but using my, you know, English literature hat, this idea of restorative justice. I mean, you want to restore something that was still a colonial within the colonial system, right? What, What I've heard... And I think it was John Burroughs who was speaking, and I heard him talking about making sure you understand it's Indigenous law. The difference between restorative justice uh, is the difference between, you know, Aboriginal law and Indigenous law, right? So um, restorative justice is still within that criminal legal system, but it's applying an Indigenous lens and making sure you get that Indigenous support within the system. But uh, a parallel and a different way forward, as Andrea says, is Indigenous-led, using Indigenous ways, Indigenous laws to create things from the beginning that are not within that colonial framework. That's a very different way of approaching things. And how do you, how do you get the system, <laughs> you know, to buy into that or to say, oh yeah, sure, go ahead and do that. Or, I mean, no government, you know, they they hold the purse strings, they hold the policies, they hold the laws, and so 
it is hard to move that forward. And again, I'm not speaking as a lawyer, just in general, doing this work in cultural awareness to get them to see outside the framework that they work in. So yeah, one more thing is that the government has implemented the Indigenous Languages Act and the Act respecting First Nations, Métis, Inuit families and children. So that is a way And Michael Michelle talks about it in his paper. That is a way to start to implement an Indigenous law in uh, underneath with the criminal justice system concurrently. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We didn't talk about UNDRIP, right? What that's going to look, the UNDRIP Act. What is that going to look like, right? Yeah, I'm wondering that as well. I know. Well, you know, with the routines of what I've seen uh, the governments do, um, they'll just ignore it, right? But I really liked how British Columbia has DRIPA. So the DRIPA Act, the UNDRIP Act, um, and they're doing really, really uh, more progressive things. I'm liking t- liking what they're doing over in that province. But I mean, We'll see. We'll see, right? For our listeners, again, the UNDRIP is the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People Act, which, if I'm not mistaken, came into force like in June 2021. And I don't know yet exactly what has been done. Work plan. They have to have work plans by June and then impl- start implementing them, which is an impossible timeline. Again, <laughs> can get into a discussion about that, but uh, I think they've set a very ambitious agenda. But people even have trouble with the UNDRIP Act because, again, Canada's looking at it within their own sort of system and within with the lens of the Canadian Constitution, right, and Section Thirty Five. That's not universal. That's not, you know, anyways, that's another discussion for another day. But there's a lot of these things where I think we need to, we just need to question the questions, right? Question the the foundational uh, ways we've seen things and have a different and bring a different lens. Yeah, try to get out of this ocean that we're in. So, <laughs> right? yeah, totally. I think the first, the first thing you said at the beginning, the first story was just so right for the entire discussion because I feel we just need to step out of this ocean and you know to really have a different lens when we we approach those issues. A final question that I would like to have because we we talk about you know uh, what measures should be taken uh, to. Yeah, should be taken, but I would like to hear your thought about intergenerational trauma that we haven't talked about. Maybe it's not even, we should also have a, an entire podcast on that, but like what measures do you think should be taken at that time to have a legal system that is more sensitive to it? Because I don't feel like it is at all. And I, I think the legal system, but I would say the entire Canadian institution, the entire institutions are not sensitive to intergenerational trauma. I think some people don't even know what it is. Some people don't think it exists. Some people are in denial. Maybe I would finish on that. I'd like to hear if you have anything to say about that. I'd like to hear it. Well, I'll, I'll let Andrea speak because she she's a lawyer, but I, I will say to understand intergenerational trauma, you need to do, people, Canadians need to do their homework. They need to get educated on Canada's colonial history. You know, people say, well, you know what, how come I have to spend all this time, you know, doing cultural awareness? But it was like you said earlier, how can you do module six if you haven't done the first five? How can you understand intergenerational trauma if you don't understand the systems that were in place 200 years? 
years ago that have led to where we are today until we understand our history. And that's why we say on this path and why Murray Sinclair said, you know, we've shown you the path to the top and you better start climbing. And so that education and that cultural awareness is that very first step. And as you do that step and as you get educated, you can come to understand what intergenerational uh, trauma means in the legal context. I leave Andrea to <laughs> talk about that. But. Jennifer, I think you just proved that we cannot work in silos. I mean, law needs also all other people you, you need because we can... We, It cannot be only lawyers talking to themselves about what is intergenerational trauma, for instance. So it's very good that you step in and we need that as well. So thank you. Exactly. Law, law is devoid of emotion. And that's problem number one. <laughs> that's a huge problem. Mm. Um, what, what I want to say is about, about intergenerational trauma is that lawyers have to be like they don't. Yes, cultural awareness is really important because lawyers have to be humble. Right. They have to be humble in this work, um, but usually they aren't. So and that's, another <laughs> systemic, that's another systemic issue. Right. Problem number two. Yeah. <laughs> so so if you're not going to be humble, then at least be a good translator. So what is your indigenous client saying to you? Right. Really listen. Are you going to be the top notch translator in the court or are you not? Okay, And if and if you if you can't do that, then have some accountability and have your workplace have accountability and other structures have it. You have to widen your accountability scale. Our, you, people have to be held accountable to what they're doing in regards to the genocide, ongoing genocide of Indigenous peoples, right? Why Indigenous peoples are overrepresented in the court system, in the prison system. You know what? If you're not going to listen to being humble and being a good translator, next is accountability, We're going to start to implement some accountability measures so that people and your firms and your organizations can be accountable to reconciliation. And here's how. So you don't necessarily, yeah, intergenerational trauma, it's, it's known to be epigenetic. It's known to compound upon each generation. Yeah, that's, that's pretty brutal. It's pretty sad. But what about white intergenerational trauma? What's um, the white cycle? The non-Indigenous settler cycle that I see in intergenerationally is power and control. Their power and control has upped its limits to absurdity. The APTN video that we all watched together, that was a, a bunch of non-Indigenous people emitting power and control to a psychotic level with no Indigenous people there whatsoever. So what is the white epigenetic intergenerational transformation going on? You know, quit, you know, quit focusing on the Indigenous people and saying, oh, poor them, so sad. People have to start realizing Indigenous people, we are strong, come at us from a strength-based approach and start to take us seriously <laughs> and start to look within themselves. What's your intergenerational epigenetic you know, coding that's compounding upon each generation. And, and what are you doing to rectify that? I finished on that. Thank you so much. I don't know if you know, because yeah, nothing to add to that. Uh, I don't know. Thank you very much. I don't know if you wanted to add anything, if there's a question I hadn't covered that you'd like to cover, or you'd like to have a final thought. Otherwise, I'd like to 
warmly thank you for your time, Jennifer David and Andrea Menard. It was such a great podcast. And thank you for this initiative of the path. I will personally make sure not to be a bystander, but an upstander. And I hope like all our listeners will do that too. And um, I'll probably contact you, Andrea, also for uh, little tips on how to implement the path as a <laughs> compulsory. Sounds great. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Julia. Thank you. Yes, Miigwech. Very nice to, uh, to uh, meet you. Thank you very much. If you would like to learn more about the difficult legacy of colonialism in Canada, check out cba.org forward slash truth dash and dash reconciliation. We have also posted links to the references made during the course of this conversation in the episode notes. Thank you for listening. And as always, please feel free to reach out to us anytime at podcasts at cba.org.